Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. Welcome back, Savvy Souls, to episode 101. I think, or I'm hoping that this episode will set the tone for any interviews I do on the podcast this year. Its tone is honest and funny, and I think you're going to get a lot of value. I'm interviewing my peer coach, who you've heard before when she interviewed me on the podcast. Her name is Angela Hahn. She's a lawyer and life coach, and she's the host of the Fit to Practice podcast. And I've got a lot of information in the show notes about how you can reach out to her. In this episode, we talk about the real reasons that Angela went into law and later left her law practice to coach full-time. She's pretty raw and real about that, and I think you're going to recognize your own humanity in it and also learn a lot uh, as you listen to it. And then we're going to be talking about the importance of humor, about the cultural forces that historically encouraged her to be silent and women in her culture to be silent and how she's become one of the most expressive voices in social media on LinkedIn, TikTok, and as a public speaker in the legal circuit, her thoughts about the racism she's faced and instructive things about how no matter what culture we belong to, how we can think differently about our own humanity and powerfully make a difference. And especially her ideas about devotion, devoting yourself to the right things and how you can discover your own devotion. So without further ado, I'm going to bring you right into this episode with the wonderful, funny, and honest Angela Hahn. So I've got Angela Hahn here with me today and She's one of my fabulous peer coaches from Simone Gracioles, as Angela says, not quite mastermind. I'm not really sure what it was. She called it the mystery room. Uh, anyway, Angela's a lawyer and a life coach and host of the Fit to Practice podcast that teaches lawyers how to feel secure and safe in their own skin. So Angela, I've got to ask you this question right from the get-go because you're really fun and you're really different and you don't think inside a box. I want to know what was it that made you want to do law? Um, I went into law for all the wrong reasons. So I wanted to, like, there was a lot of wrong reasons here, but I'll just try to share what I remember. Um, the first is that I was upset. <clears throat> I was upset that I couldn't fix my parents' marriage. And so I thought that going to law school and doing something uh, prestigious would fix it in my uh, young mind at the time. Um, I think part of that was like being a lawyer seemed like the easiest way to stably uh, make money, which like money was not like a stable kind of um a uh, uh, source of income no I don't know money no that's not the right way to say it money was like not stable period uh in our household as I was growing up and so I think I had a lot of insecurities about that and I felt like becoming a lawyer was like the most stable way to do that at the time uh when I had limited information about the world and I still have limited information about the world now but like at the time um that was the information that I had so those are kind of like the main reasons I went to law school. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder, like, I often wonder about this. If we were to ask, you know, the people that were in our first year law school class, I wonder how many of them would have answers like that, completely unrelated to like, <laughs> I'd really like to practice law because I think it would be fun. And 
I, you know, have a yearning to make arguments or whatever, right? Like, I wonder how many people would have entered it, you know, to please their parents in some form or fashion or for some other, you know, reason like that. What do you think? Yeah, I for sure would have been one of those people who would have been in complete denial um, in my first year of law school. <laughs> I would, I, like if you had said, like, did you go to law school to please your parents? Um, when I was, uh, when I was a 1L, I would have been like, okay, like, fuck off. You don't know me. How dare you? <laughs> but then now it's like, I think, I think <clears throat> at the time I, I still, because I was like in a mindset of like wanting to get approval and like wanting to, uh, please my parents and my family and bring honor and all of those things, just, uh, any, any sort of truth that was inconsistent with that mission, I would have probably denied. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think a lot of us are the same way when we go into these professions like law or being a physician or an accountant or other things that are considered kind of high status professions versus <laughs> the things that you and I do now, which are being life coaches and in my case, an artist, like, yeah. you know, not to throw shade at these professions, but they're not things that all our parents are lining up wanting us to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we can, we can throw shade. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, people throw shade at our professions all the time, right? Like people throw shade at being a life coach. People throw shade at being an artist, like all the time. I guess like, I guess the, like the shade that I want to throw is just dishonesty about Mm -hmm. like why it is you're in that profession. Um, And the profession itself, uh, I mean, it that like the 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 legal profession that was just kind of thrown into this hierarchy that we like made up, like this construct of what we're supposed to do, and like the stability and the prestige and the honor that it brings. Like somehow, somewhere down the road, being a lawyer became part of that circle, and so for us to say that like that didn't influence our decision at all, I think that is dishonest. Um, Though, of course, you know, some people, some people have some very, very uh, uh, honest reasons about why they joined the law to genuinely help other people. And who am I to dispute that? Right. So now that we've talked about law that way, and, you, you know, there there are some people, like I have an older brother who is a lawyer, and he's like one of those people that absolutely adores every aspect of it. So yeah. not to diss all the lawyers out there, but... But I like I'm very interested in what makes us, you know, make decisions and whether we're making decisions that are kind of aligned with who we are and are for us. I guess, given all of those reasons, how did you transition or how how were you propelled as a lawyer to want to become a life coach? Yeah, um, I think. I think I wanted to like subconsciously, I don't think I would have admitted it at the time, but I think subconsciously I wanted to leave the law as soon as I passed the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I think that was because um, I think all throughout law school, I was trying to like, you know, I was going to like hundreds of interviews. Like I did hundreds of informational interviews, trying to like meet people and network and all those things. And none of those things like landed me a a job. And the only thing that I felt like was relevant was my GPA. And I didn't, I had like a, maybe like average or like lower average GPA. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of exhausted by the fact that my worth was pretty much tied to my GPA. Right. so like if I like I think there was some part of me that knew that if I stayed in this industry, like who I am will never be able to be fully expressed. And so I found some other way to to express like the parts of me that were being a little bit suffocated as as a new lawyer. And what I did was as soon as I passed the bar, I um I, 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 I passed the personal trainer certification exam. And the reason I went into that is like, I had no idea like what to start with. I just like a personal to- trainer, like a, like for physical. Yeah. Physical, physical. Okay. Okay, cool. 
because I overcame bulimia through like physical activity. And so I was like, okay, well, that's something that I know. So why don't I just get certified? Cause that was, that's the only thing that I know. And then just walk into a gym, ask for a job and just kind of start from there. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I worked at the local gym for a few months and then I had to move away. And uh, so I just opened on my own shingle and then it kind of transformed into like health coaching and then health coaching kind of transformed into life coaching because people just wanted coaching of just general general topics from me mm-hmm. even though I was calling myself a health coach and so that's how it it all, it all kind of came together but you were doing this because you did eventually land a job as a lawyer and you were working as a lawyer when you were working as a fitness coach and then life coach right oh yeah I forgot to mention that like yeah I got my I got my first I got my first job like at like the, the the summer after I graduated law school when mm-hmm. everybody else had uh I don't know like 160 180 200k you know starting salary at like big law firms I was offered like 55k at this new kind of government job that I had mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. offered and it was all after everybody else had already gotten jobs so I just felt I just felt worthless and I, because I, my worth was so attached to this number. Um, and in mm-hmm. some ways probably like, I don't know the fact that I was not a white man, but I mean, who knows? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame, <laughs> blame my, my, my uh, like lack of success in the job search process on that entirely, because I don't really have the evidence for that. Um, but, but I just felt like there was no part of me that, anybody looked at that was acceptable because my GPA was kind of just like at the forefront of what they were, what they were looking at. Yeah. So they weren't looking at you as a real person. They were just looking at this kind of arbitrary statistic that is like one, you know, one, one millionth of who you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I probably do have evidence of like, you know, racial and gender discrimination, but I think I sort of like suppressed that. So that's why I'm saying that there's no evidence, but like, cause like we just get like, so, so like used to being discriminated that like, sometimes it just kind of goes over our head sometimes. And like, and like you like beat yourself up for it. But yeah, so one, I, I, I got that job right out of law school. And then I realized that it was not for me. I wanted to go like go in house. And so I was like scouring the entire job or like every every single day and mm-hmm. finally landed a job in healthcare which is like related to my personal training background yeah so, but do it as a lawyer yeah as a lawyer yes yes yeah. yeah and then um all this business stuff that was like outside of business hours mm-hmm. and so yeah for my day job I was in-house for a few years and I was able to last several years because I really appreciated my boss um I just don't think it's possible to have a boss that was quite like him, um, that was just so supportive and awesome. And but then at the, at some point, I had to like really get honest with myself. Like if I, if everything else was equal, and my opinion was the most important, what would I do? And then I realized that the best thing is to quit my job. <clears throat> yeah. So you went through all this this hardship of kind of feeling rejected, like becoming a lawyer, kind of for reasons of status and not internally driven and then not being recognized. And then ultimately, despite all the odds, landing a job with a boss that you loved and doing work that you liked more as a lawyer, but also having this side gig, doing work that you loved more and ultimately being true to yourself and leaving. So the question I have about you actually leaving the law to become a full-time life coach is mm-hmm. was that transition hard? Was it hard to give up that status that was associated with with the job that you did land in the end? Yeah, it was it was uh difficult. I don't think that I would have really done it on my own, to be really honest. I think it's because of the things that happened. Um, and I think the biggest thing that was like the impetus of that, like the whole domino. <clears throat> was like I think I have I I always had this feeling of of like okay like this is not lighting me up but like Mm -hmm. who am I to say like I only deserve what lights me up like that was always like the the thought and then the big impetus was like my second baby was born earlier this year April 2022 Mm -hmm. and 
um, when she was born, I, uh, I kind of like, I think what happened was I started to remember all of the moments that I missed watching my first grow up because mm. I was so into like my own ambition and my own goals. And so when I, so Rhea is my first. And so I remember <clears throat> like kind of feeling like, oh, wow. Like I really am nostalgic and reminiscent about all the, all like, all of like Rhea's like younger, like the first like year or two of her life. And I get to like do that all over again. And I don't think that I want to just kind of let that pass um, with my second and with like, with my second, who, her, her name is Harper. And so I want to like really kind of be with them. And because like my focus and my attention was just so automatically going to them, it felt like anything else that I was doing for other people's approval and to please other people felt so like minuscule and unimportant compared to the attention and the care that I had for these two babies. And so I think that of course, I still carry the thought of like, I don't know if I really deserve to live my life on my own terms. But at the same same time, like it was kind of the only option that I felt like was natural to me once Harper was born. And I think that made things a little bit easier at that point. Yeah. So how is being a life coach part of that vision of having uh, time for your kids and living life on your own terms? Yeah, I think that... I think it's like not about not even like about having time for my kids. I think that I will always like make the time for them. Um, but I think it's about the quality of the time that I have with them because like, I mean, whether I have my day job or not, like they will be at daycare throughout the day and then in the evening they will be home. And so there's nothing that's going to change that. Um, but I think the thing that has changed is that there is no longer any part of my day where I feel like, oh, I don't like this is not me or mm -hmm. I am not solving problems that I don't want to solve. Like all of the problems, like there, the, the, the number of problems hasn't changed. It's just the different types of problems that I'm, that I'm solving now. The things that I'm devoted to are different now. And there is no, there's no part of the day or there's no part of me that feels like, oh, I should not have spent the day that way because I know exactly what I'm doing at every second of the day because I am so clear about what I'm devoted to. Um, and so that is, I think, the privilege that I get by being a life coach and having had the privilege of like coaching people and then the way that makes me feel like I am able to fully express myself and support others and fully expressing themselves it becomes uh it becomes such a such a natural kind of vocation yeah that that brings to mind like i started after after i met you i guess it was in the spring of this year i started to follow you on linkedin and my observation is you blasted onto the world of linkedin which <laughs> used to be kind of a boring and unlively world with a totally different take on posting, uh, which has been wildly popular. I personally soak up every post you write. They're irreverent and funny and wise and always authentic. So just wondering how you had the courage or what it was that propelled you to write that way on LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, honestly, a lot of the like the quote unquote great things that I achieve in life is like somehow partially driven by anger. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think part of it is like the thing that initially kind of sparked that was I was sort of sick of <clears throat> being silenced. And I was also sick of like noticing myself, silencing myself because I was so conditioned to be silenced. Like there, there were comments of, you know, even as I was growing up, like, oh, just like, you know, be quiet or like, you know, don't get ahead of yourself or like you're too much or whatever. And I really believe that. And I think at some point I was so done with believing that. And I mean, of course, um, like every time I do show up, 
online, it feels like I am chipping away like layers of generational trauma and collective trauma and just a lot of silencing <clears throat> and uh, 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 just a pattern of silencing. And so it's it's certainly not like, it's certainly not like just a walk in the park every time I do crazy stuff online, <laughs> but it, it's like, it, I would rather be crazy and be hated or be unlikable or whatever than silence because that is the one thing that I will not negotiate with for myself. Yeah, that's, you're, you're, that's so interesting. You're talking about chipping away layers of generational trauma in when you interviewed me on your fit to practice uh, podcast, we talked about age diversity, which was, and I'm not going to repeat that way that here, the way people make assumptions about us. In my case, people can make assumptions like, Oh, you know, Heather's 63. That's, you know, mean she's in the autumn of her life or whatever, which I hate that shit. Like, I feel like I'm in the spring of my life just because of my mental attitude. Mm -hmm. And you've similarly, you know, being frustrated with people making assumptions to you about your age, like maybe assuming, for example, that you can't be phenomenally wise, which you are, or can't be a fount of wisdom for how to solve problems, which, which you do. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about being silenced through, you know, gen generational trauma, I was wondering if you'd be okay talking about the impact of, you know, your cultural background and how that's, you know, affected the way you navigate through lawyering, coaching, posting, all of that. Yeah. I think uh, generational trauma uh, is, is, is uh, something that is in our DNA, um, especially for, for women and like, particularly <clears throat> like speaking to, for myself, because I don't, know like specifically what other people went through but like I'm Korean and just 100 years ago maybe maybe less than that maybe more than that um like women were not allowed to speak up and like in many instances women who spoke up were I don't know uh like killed in some some brutal fashion and so like I am so grateful that every generation every generation that preceded me somehow tried to heal from the brutalities that women faced mm. however because the brutalities were so rampant and profound it was very difficult maybe even impossible for one generation to heal the hundreds of generations of trauma that came before them and so even me, as I'm trying to, quote unquote, heal my generational trauma, I probably will be passing on part of that to my own children. I probably won't be able to stop that in its tracks, but that is the direction that I'm going hmm. where like there, there is still that part of me, even as I speak up that, oh, like I'm telling myself, oh, like you're too much. Like, oh, like it's unsafe to speak up because it is, it has been uh, 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 just set, like it's, it's, it is in my blood. It's my, it's in my DNA, <laughs> like the same right. people who brutalize women for speaking up and being themselves, they were, they lived and they gave me that same blood throughout the multiple generations that came after them. So <clears throat> I think it's about being mindful of what the experiences were of women, um, before me in my culture and also appreciating each generation for trying to move forward from that and doing my part in recognizing both sides and being available to stand up for the things that my ancestors probably would not have been able to say. Yeah, I know that, you know, partly because of your LinkedIn popularity and your overall success as a coach and your the brilliance of your coaching, you've, your coaching, you've been invited to participate in a lot of public panels lately. What's it like for you? I know in a lot of cases, you're the only um, non-Caucasian or the only young woman on the panel. What's that like being like for you with like this past that you're overcoming, getting on panels in public former forums and maybe presenting 
different views than the other panel presenters are presenting. How has that been for you? Yeah, it's been, um, I, I, I was also sharing with you just like how nerve wracking it was. <laughs> yeah. That is something that that's my nervous system and I can't silence my nervous system. <laughs> so I'm just going to be nervous and like, you know, shaking my hands and all like, like uh, shaking off my hands and shaking off like some of the nervousness. I'll be lying down on the, on the bed, just like, you know, noticing what's coming up and I'll just be like running around. I'll, I'll be doing all kinds of stuff. I'll be, I don't know, eating a sandwich, like trying to relieve my, 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 my nervousness, whatever it is that comes up for me. <clears throat> And so like the, that's the first part, there's, there's, there is that nervous um, energy that I'm not going to deny about myself. And then the second thing is, um, I think I, I also told you this, that I was like, kind of like, I don't know, maybe I need to regulate my like nervous system a little bit more before I even like share like the whole, the entirety of my experience, because maybe I'm like mm -hmm. still processing it. But I think the part that I have processed is that I, every time I go up on stage, whether it is virtual or whether it is in person, is that I, as much as I very much hope that whatever I say is going to be impactful to my audience. And actually I do have a confidence that it will, uh, whether it's like a very jarring experience <laughs> for them or whether it's a very impressive experience for them or whatever it is, I know that whatever I say is going to have some sort of impact that's going to ride all the waves like across the country and the world and all of, all of those things. And then um, at the same time, I also know that it's very possible that some of the impact is going to be negative. Like, oh my gosh, like who is this crazy Asian lady saying crazy stuff? Like this is a space for uh, people that does not look like her people that do not look like her. And here she is, you know, trumpeting her weird ass opinions. <laughs> and, and like, what the fuck? Like, who the fuck does she think she is? And, and I think I go up on stage expecting every type of feedback, um, like including that. And I think when I do go up expecting all of that and, and like, knowing that even if I do get all of that, I still have my own back. Mm -hmm. It makes it easier for me to still say all the ridiculous things that are on my mind. Yeah. So like, I'm hearing a lot of like, like I think people look at people like you that have kind of like made it and have become popular and that kind of stuff. And a lot of assumptions are made like, oh, it's, you know, she's got this, she doesn't suffer from that anxiety anymore, but you know, clearly we do, right? Clearly those things linger. They're never entirely defeated. Our nervous systems take them forward, right? So yeah. it's, what I'm hearing from you is your motivation to get up there and do that, um, to kind of change this historical pattern is, is really the underpinning of what you do. Yeah. I think that is, that is definitely a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the mainstream Western focused legal world misses about you? What do you wish they knew about you? Um, I don't think there's anything in particular that I wish they knew about me because I, I'm very loud about who I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there is something that I wish they knew about themselves. Mm. The <clears throat> some of the ways that they are impacting other people, both um, like in every way, like the like the ways that we impact other people that are inconsistent with the way that we intend. Um, like I see a lot of people who uh, are, I don't know, like I think they talk about how they how much they support. Uh, minority women in the profession or whatever and then they end up hiring zero <laughs> of them. for example that's a very that's a very um, common example mm -hmm. um, and just like not just in the form of hiring but also endorsing and supporting and listening to the the people that have have been 
proportionally more silenced than other groups of people um, based on their demographics. And so I think sometimes like if we are more aware of how sometimes like we can be wrong, Mm. if we owned the fact that we could be wrong and we could be bad and we could be harmful, like if we were owning all of those like quote unquote negative parts of ourselves, I feel like we could get much more honest about where we are and where we want to go. Yeah, there's there's so much growth in that. And one thing I really like about that, and it's certainly an area of growth for me that I'm working on and will have to work on the rest of my life is, you know, these issues, you know, racial diversity, cultural diversity, like all of these things I worry about and theoretically support and say all the right things. So much more is required of me. So much more is required of me. And it, you know, just so many ways I've realized over time that I haven't shown up the mm-hmm. way I could. I haven't made the right decisions. And I agree with what you're saying. Like, there's so many times I remember back when I was at EY partner at one point, they asked me to go speak. We had a, you know, it was a, you know, equity and inclusion kind of conference. And so I was going there as a member of the leadership team to speak on a subject. But uh, one thing that really stood out for me when I looked around the room is there were very few, you know, white people in the room. And and I kind of thought, what's happening here? This isn't, you know, an issue. Like we can't have equity and and diversity conferences that don't have white people there, right? Like it's something where we have to partner with each other and bridge bridge the lack of understandings like it's it's you know racial inequality cultural inequality in the business world is as much my issue Mm. as as people who aren't white so um i appreciate you bringing that up i just think it's something for everybody in the audience to take away and realize that whatever our own affiliations are our own backgrounds are there's a role for all of us there's this is an issue for all of us yeah and I think that I want to also distinguish um like between awareness and shame um because I think especially in the legal industry I think the DEI movement is a little bit slower because in the legal industry we require perfectionism and when we are kind of like told like oh actually like you're like can you do this differently if it it, it, we receive it as like oh I'm doing it wrong and Mm. wrongness is not tolerated in the legal industry and so um that's why it's kind of more challenging to throw in different perspectives because difference is kind of perceived as wrong and so I think we want to encourage like okay like it it is it is very much possible for you to show up imperfectly it is very much possible for you to say the wrong things. And when you do become aware of it, um, let's be aware of it where, oh, oh, I, I made a mistake in this like math problem and I want to learn more because I want to be good at math. Not like, oh, I made a mistake in this math problem. I'm a dumbass and a piece of shit. I'm never going to do math again. <laughs> because Yeah, exactly. Well, like literally every single person listening to this, I guarantee you, yeah. you're doing it wrong and that's okay, right? Like, it's that interest, the willingness to listen and interest in it. And I agree with you, the non-shaming part of it is really important because if we shame ourselves, then it's hard to be anything other than defensive. And if we're defensive, it's really hard to listen to somebody else. Yeah. Whereas it's like, oh, here's something I could learn. Here's something I could try this out because it will kind of like improve the world. It will improve the environment. It will create opportunities. And hey, you know, we were all brought up in this culture. We were all, we all have um, unconscious biases. I remember we did this um, thing with a client when I was at Ernst & Young. There was this big uh, study about unconscious bias was maybe 10 years ago. And they did this test on us. And I discovered in that time that I had this unconscious bias against women in business. And, you know, I spent all my time mentoring women and teaching them how to show up and being what I considered a really strong woman in the partnership group. And yet 
there were unconscious, you know, the unconscious bias I had against women were showing up in really, really subtle ways. And everybody who, who did this test found, you know, revealed things like that. So it's, it's really an interesting area. And I, I so agree with your point about let's not shame ourselves. Let's just keep learning. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you asked me that question of like, what, what do you people, what do you wish people knew about me? Like, and I said, I, I wish that they knew more about themselves. And the thing that I wish that people knew more about <clears throat> themselves, and sometimes I remind myself of this as well, is like just how powerful we are in in making a difference, both within ourselves and in other people. And that comes with regulating our nervous system and getting curious and being okay with all the disgusting shit that comes up because that is that is what humanity means. And when we own the grossness of our humanity and realize that sometimes we are kind of pieces of shit and that we just been conditioned to be that way. Um, and not, and, and like, not from a place of like, Oh, I'm a piece of shit. Therefore I am, I need to be ashamed, but it's like, Oh, Oh, that's so interesting. Like I am a piece of shit because I've been told that I'm a piece of shit, but <laughs> I don't have to be that. And I can be something else. I can be whatever I want. And fuck everybody else who is calling me a piece of shit, including myself. I'm not going to call myself a piece of shit anymore because I can do this and because I'm curious and because I love learning and because I love unlearning and going in the direction that I want to go. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, like, as we talk about this, it brings to mind, like, you're actually really funny <laughs> and <laughs> you make me laugh all the time and you have these hilarious TikTok videos. It, it, and I'm just wondering, has humor being one of your coping mechanisms or how, how did they like have you always been funny or is this something that's emerged recently like where did this come from um I think humor is everybody's coping mechanism to some extent okay. <laughs> I think that um it's interesting I, I mean I certainly had I don't, I don't have my dad's consent to share this about him but I'm going to share it anyway because I'm a okay. piece of Okay. <laughs> but um he <clears throat> what I saw in him is that he used to make like make a lot of jokes to like make people laugh and it felt like a sort of a distraction from some of the deeper stuff that we could talk about. And I think I sort of learned that from him and I don't mm -hmm. necessarily hate that. Um and I think like that's that's one source I learned the laughing and the humor from and the other part is that when I first came to the states I didn't understand what people were saying. Uh, and, and so like the, the only way I could communicate in a positive way was laughing. And so mm -hmm. I would just kind of laugh like the whole time and like laughing was more like, a, it's always also kind of like a people pleasing mechanism, just like making them feel like, right. like they are, they are uh, fun and wanted and, you know, good. And mm -hmm. so uh, that's kind of how I communicated with people as well. And that kind of, I think became part of my identity where I laughed, laugh. I also now still laugh, like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I, I am like a little bit more honest about like the things that make me laugh. And I think that uh, in terms of like being funny, I think I used to sort of suppress that funny part of myself because I was like, oh, like you're just trying to people please. You're just trying to make people laugh. You're just like trying to get people to like you. And I was demonizing that part of myself. And then I think as soon as I was like, oh, you want people to like you? You want people to laugh at your jokes? Of course you do. You're human. Like, why not? And then like when I kind of felt free to just express more of who I am, like the the desire to make people like me kind of diminished a little bit because I was no longer resisting that so much. And so now it's like, uh, it's I, I do appreciate when people say that I'm funny and stuff there's a part of me that doesn't believe them because you know there's that 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 self-doubting part of me mm -hmm. at the same time it's like like I, I while at the same time like while I definitely appreciate the compliments it's kind of like just it's just who I am it's like people complimenting I don't know my shirt or my hair it's just who I am I definitely appreciate it but yeah also also, uh, not a big deal. Here's, here's the thing I've noticed about like, you know, comedians that I find the most funny. And I think this is true about your humor is the funniest stuff for me is 
the person gets up and says something and as a listener, as I listen to it and I go, ah, that's me. That's totally how I think. Like stuff that goes on in your mind that you would never admit to somebody else. And then you have this person who's being funny getting up and just voicing what happens inside your head. And I think everybody, I think when people laugh, we are often laughing in recognition. And I think it's a really, really great tool that you use to talk about things that could lead to a lot of shame. But, you know, if I'm reading something that could trigger shame in me, but it makes me actually laugh at myself. Instead, it's the first step towards healing and opening my mind to a different view. So that's just like my own reflection on somebody who listens to your humor and finds it healing. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, like all, all the all the like the stand up comedians, for example, that I love the most are the people who read my mind. And so, yeah, I, that's why I think it's sort of easy to to make all these TikTok videos because I I, I just all I do is really just document. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's always fun. Yeah, um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'd like to delve into it. You have this philosophy about finding your devotion. And it's quite frankly changed the way I think about my own coaching and about uh, also my painting, my art. I'm wondering if you could share with the listeners here how like, how you came up with this idea. Tell us a little bit more about this idea. What is it? Yeah. Can you just explain it a little bit? Yeah. So I actually kind of learned it from Simone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, cause I think she says something around something because she influences my thinking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the word devotion kind of came up where, like, I think about like the, 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 the sort of religious parts of me, um, the part the the times when I was very devoted to something like whether it's religion or whether I'm like religiously devoted to anything, whether it's like my children's safety or like, I remember before, uh, I don't know, like when I was in like high school and stuff, I used to be a very devoted Buddhist and I would like pray every day and stuff like that. And it was just one of those things that I did no matter what was going on. Um, and it was like a practice that I did of like connecting with myself. Like I would, <clears throat> there's a practice in Buddhism where you bow down, like head head to the ground, like 108 times. Mm. Um, and then I would, I did that for, I think maybe almost like 10 years or something. And then until I had children (laughs) and during those 10 years, um, for the most part, like reflecting back for the most part, I did all of that for 10 years because I wanted to please my family and like tell, like show them how devoted I am to them. And I just felt very guilty every time, like I skipped a day or like didn't do, uh, I don't know, whatever, didn't do a prayer one weekend or whatever. And I realized that, like, I, 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 I realized that I wanted to redefine what devotion meant. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand what other people think devotion is, but I want to have a kind of devotion where there is no part of me that feels guilty for having a devotion. And so that made me question, like, what do I want to be devoted to? And the thing that I want to want to be devoted to is everything that I have to offer. Everything that gives me joy in me expressing everything that I do have to offer. And when I'm devoted to that, there is no wrong way to go about it because whether Mm -hmm. I'm expressing or not expressing or expressing in ways that are different from what other people are expressing, I am always in that devotion and anything that comes from it, whether it's money or relationships or uh, where I live, I don't know, whatever it is, that is always a side effect of that devotion of like, I will not compromise on my devotion by listening to what other people tell me should, uh, what other, how other people think my devotion should look like. Right. So your devotion really is to be 
like, it, would you describe it as, as being authentically yourself uh, or yeah. how, would, how, how would you describe it? Yeah, I would, I would say that. I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. I don't really use the word authentically because I think, I, I think that authentically you is a little bit redundant. Like you being you is, is you being yeah. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so I would just, just so many of us are artificially us, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, you, I mean, you coach uh, a lot of clients. Is that something that comes up, like helping them find their devotion? Yeah, I think, I mean, <clears throat> the this is what I work on with all of my clients where they feel so stifled because they feel like they have all these obligations, things that they feel like they should do in their lives. But there's also this very, very strong voice in their minds that is telling them like, like a this is a this is a, this is a big no. <laughs> All these things that you think you should do is a big no. And then usually they come to me because they don't know how to deal with that big no. Because mm-hmm. logically, all the things that they're doing are right and make sense. Um, but it's like not doesn't feel good, doesn't feel right. And so it's about kind of like distinguishing what is theirs, what is not theirs and creating this um, sort of lifestyle, environment, design, whatever it is that actually does feel right and is producing the results that they want. What What's the first question you'd ask them to ask themselves? Like the first step here, like if people are listening in and they're going like, gee, I have no idea what my devotion would could possibly be I realize this is a whole process and working with people but if they could ask themselves one step to just take the first tiny step towards finding their own devotion what would it be yeah so I asked this question in my application form and my like I used to also ask this in like my consult forms and stuff which is who are you outside your calendar your inbox and your contact list beautiful Beautiful. <laughs> I love that question. Thank you. Yeah. So you and I, we both come from a pretty straight laced profession mm-hmm. where, you know, as lawyers, we're known for our logical brains and our analytical skills. Mm-hmm. Yet we're also both the kind of people who talk about soul connection and embracing the mystical and magical things as well. How has your own openness to all of that fed into your coaching? Um, like I think that any like mystical energy work, woo-woo stuff, magic, witchcraft, whatever, that that is also something that should be unchained in our uh, community and society, world, whatever. Um, because I use any any like sort of um, outside the realm of logic tools to the extent that is helpful for me. Like there is so much, like so many tools in what I would call witchcraft that I definitely revere, but it's just not a priority for me because Mm -hmm. it's not really helpful for me. But that doesn't mean that it's like a bad thing or like an unhelpful thing. It just means that I, I personally chose not to engage with it. Maybe one day mm-hmm. I will do it. Maybe uh, I will change my mind on it because I think it's a strength to change your mind on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's all about, it, it's like, it's all sort of connected because these things that are so different are and in, like deciding what to do with all those things that are different from your sphere of awareness, I think is an exercise of unshaming. I think the more you are, likely to shame practices or ideas or ideologies that are different from yours, the more you're probably shaming yourself for being wrong and not following the quote unquote mainstream culture or methodologies. And so when we talk about energy work and witchcraft and all those things, like I use the tools that are important to me and relevant to me and when I want to use it. Like for example, one of my go-to tools is using the tarot cards. There are stretches of time when I never look at them and there are stretches of time when I look at them every day and there is no wrong way to go about it. And as long as I am aware that there is no wrong way to go about it, 
there's no wrong way for anybody else to go about it. Yeah. I, I find it's been a really interesting process for me. I was used to be really resistant to all of that stuff. And when I develop more openness to it, it's not like everything I hear, I believe, or that it resonates with me. Some, some of it does and some of it doesn't. But what I do is I allow myself to be open to it. And then I try it out on me first. <laughs> I never try it out first on my clients. I try it on me first. Yeah. And, you know, I, I evaluate, like, is this, is this changing my life? Is it having a positive impact? Is it basically working for me? And I spend less time trying to criticize it or understand it or call call it names or whatever, even classify it. It's just like, here's something I've learned about it, about uh, what I hear about it. It interests me. Part of me feels more alive mm -hmm. and I try it out. And if it has positive results for me, I use it. And if it, even if it seems amazing, but it doesn't really seem to work for me, I let that be okay nice. too. So, so that's kind of how I deal with it. All right. There's, there was one person who would tell me like, actually not one person, several people who would tell me like you being, you being, you doing all this like weird stuff, like takes away from the seriousness of the work that I do. And I was like, you clearly don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now for my final question, I could talk to you all day and yeah. thank you for being so forthcoming yeah. is Basically, at the end of the day, as life coaches, mm -hmm. no matter how we slice or dice what we do, I think, at least this is the way I think of it, our goal always involves helping our clients feel more alive, like feel more themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what makes you feel the most fully alive, the most fully satisfied in your career and life right now. That's a great question. Because what I'm thinking right now is like, what is the thing that does not make me feel alive? <laughs> well, you can answer it however you like. <laughs> yeah, the reason I'm asking myself what does not make me feel alive is because like, generally speaking, everything does make me feel alive. Um, like, <clears throat> because I have, I feel like I'm I'm pretty good at at, at doing only the things that make me feel alive. And like, even when I make mistakes or like go in the wrong direction, it's kind of like, like I'm like, there's, 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 there's another part of my aliveness that wants to be seen um, from me going in that weird direction. And so it's like, maybe I'm just capable of creating aliveness, whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm going. Um, but I think. I think that's the more important question is like, what part of your life are you not feeling alive? And how are you, how do you, what, like, what do you want to do about that? Like, do you want that to stay there? And because I've been asking myself that question for just so long, it's harder to think about, it's, it's really hard to think about the ways that my life is not making me come alive. Because even yeah. when I'm feeling like total garbage, uh, I'm, I still feel like I'm alive because I know that whatever I'm doing, I'm still prioritizing myself. Yeah. I love that answer because it's really like, it's a process, right? Life yeah. is a process. It Like we, we don't arrive at some spot. We just keep every day, we keep getting to make the choice that makes us feel the most alive that day that, that has feels the most attuned to us and, you know, having our backs. And as long as we're doing that, yeah, it doesn't guarantee we have amazing experiences all the time, mm -hmm. but we're never kind of feeling shut down and like, we're not really there. Right. It's, yeah. it's, we are alive every moment and like, what more could you ask for? Right. 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 Exactly. I mean, I guess the only time that I'm not alive is like when I'm like, like really sick and it just, I'm just so fucking miserable. Mm. Um, but even then, like I find ways to feel alive in some way. <laughs> exactly. So I'm wondering if you, like, what's the bet, like, I'm going to put the contact information in the show notes and stuff, but what's, where can people that are listening here today find you if they would like to work with you or they just like to read some of your posts or, or whatever? Yeah. Find me on LinkedIn. I would love to chat with you there. 
And how do we find you on LinkedIn? Like what, what do we search under? Um, Angela Hahn. Okay. Just your name. Okay. That's fantastic. (laughs) And then of course, there's also your podcast, the fit to practice podcast, uh, that people can listen to. And, um, yeah, I'll put a link to everywhere we can find you in the show notes. Cause there is people have understood from interview questions. There's lots of places you do show up. So yes. it's been fabulous talking to you as always. I love every conversation I have with you. And Oh, oh I want to say something before we close. I want to say thank you. And I want to shout out, shout you out for being my drunk texting buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that sounds really good. <laughs> that like like I was at for for your listeners, I was at a wedding all by myself, uh, because my husband was sick and I and uh, I was upset with him for being sick. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I'm a piece of shit sometimes, but um yeah, I was I, I went to the wedding alone and I was like getting drunk and I was like who who do I want to bother right now and and then I bothered <laughs> Heather and uh, some said some things that that will remain between Heather and me yeah we don't we we definitely don't have to share everything that's <laughs> that's uh that we've talked about right yes so thank you okay well thank you very much savvy souls I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it there were a lot of things in there I think when I listened re-listened to this interview it just raised the bar for me in terms of my own self-honesty and what I'm willing to talk about. I really love the way she just so uh, very honest about how she made her decisions and what was true. She doesn't gloss over things or try to hide from them. And that creates a sense of, for me anyway, a, a deep acceptance, that kind of philosophy about myself when I apply a similar approach. So it's something to really look at yourself, like how honest are you about the decisions you make and what happened? It helps us to really see what's going on and why we've done what we've done and to make better decisions going forward. She asked herself a couple questions during the interview today that I just wanted to repeat for you because I think they're good things for you to think about one of them was when she was a lawyer and was, you know, doing this other stuff on the side and was finally in a job that she enjoyed in the sector she wanted, but still it didn't feel quite right. She asked herself if everything else was equal and my opinion was the most important, what would I do? And that's when she realized the best thing for her would be to quit her legal job and a coach full-time. But I think that's a really good question for you to ask yourself, Savvy Souls. If everything else was equal and my opinion was the most important, what would I do? So often we get in our heads about what other people will think about us and how they're going to react. And we forget to look out for ourselves and what matters to us and to live a well-lived life. We really have to think about what matters to us So I think that's a great question. Another question that she said that she used with her clients to help them decide what they're actually devoted to was, who are you when you don't have your calendar, your inbox, or your contact list? Who are you outside of that context? So I think that's a a good way of thinking about that question that you might not have thought through before, I think a lot of us struggle trying to find out what's meaningful to us. And we kind of have to strip away all those things that we do in our lives because we should do them to get back to the root of who we are. Basically, I just really like you to listen to the podcast, maybe re listen to it and just really think about what she says. Angela really has a lot of wisdom and there's a lot of stuff I think that she shares in here that could be valuable for you to reconsider. I've put how you can find Angela in the show notes. Um, 
she's very prolific on LinkedIn and TikTok. And her website is www.angela-han, that's H-A-N.com. So go find her, read her on LinkedIn, or at least that's where I follow her the most. Um, Her stories are always real and authentic and uh, are changing kind of the face of LinkedIn and how people post there. So go have a read. Enjoy, Angela. Enjoy your week and see you next time. Bye now. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.